today's reading is Luke 12, 22 through 34. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For, your, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace kids, first through fifth graders, you can head to the lobby and find your teachers. The rest of you may be seated. Thank you, Amy, for that reading. I'd like to pray uh, for the sermon this morning, that God would speak to us, it would speak to you in the way that, that he knows you need to be um, spoken to so that you're able to receive it. So let's pray God, to God. God, thank you for being the one who knows our hearts. You know what is, what's going on within us. You know the various ways that we resist you and the love that you want to show or the conviction or the correction. So God, I pray that you would speak so truly to our experiences so that we cannot deny that it was your spirit at work in our lives. And I pray that that might then open us up to be available to the ways that you want to continue working and shaping. God, help us to be people not marked by fear, but by trust and by peace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to continue in Luke. If you want to open a Bible, the Blue Bible, or a Bible to Luke chapter 12, we're going to be in verses 13 through 34. That's page 871 in the Blue Bible. Now Jesus is continuing to talk about fear. Jake last week 
talked about how um, things are, are really ramping up for Jesus. He sort of has this view of, of how things will be, and he's admonishing, he's encouraging, he's warning his disciples about the, the cost potentially involved and what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, part of that will mean suffering and death, and then there's this real temptation to fear because it's innate to all of us. And I guess one of the questions that I want you to be thinking about throughout this sermon is what do you worry about? What are you afraid of? What wakes you up at night? Or what wakes you up in the middle of the night? Or what keeps you awake? What are the things that when you are alone, you actually try so hard to not consider? Our fears are something that end up directing our lives in ways that might surprise us and cause us to do things that we otherwise would never do. Case in point, during COVID, don't worry, I'm just talking about me. During COVID 2020, I was in the kitchen and my door to the backyard was open. And many of you have heard this story and if you, if you know this story, you think, how is he going to tell this story? But uh, I was in the kitchen. I was making something for me and my wife. And it was dark outside. And I heard something sort of jump over the fence. And we have a trampoline. And then I heard the springs of the trampoline, the sound. And I look out and I see what appear to be people in my backyard. Now, remember as I tell the rest of the story, I am the protagonist of this story. <laughs> so, I hear something, and what I didn't say was, what in the world? Or, come on, what I did say will be left up to your imagination and what you might have said in such a scenario because all that I remember next is I went dark. I opened the screen door. People have asked me, did you take anything with you? I said, no. <laughs> Why would I when you have these things attached to your body? So I just, I, 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 I just start running toward my trampoline. And I don't think the people who were on the trampoline ever in a million years expected this response because all of a sudden I just see a person jump out of the trampoline that I then try to grab. And, uh, and then what happens is we have like a struggle. He gets away, then he tries to jump over our fence. So I try to pull him back into our backyard, which is what you do apparently in these situations. And I'm trying to pull, and I don't know what I was gonna do to him. I, I don't wanna know, but I know I was trying to get him in, back into the backyard, and, but it didn't work. He kicked his way out, he jumps over the fence, and he runs down the alley. And then my wife is screaming, because she hears me also yelling. And then I wake up, not from a dream, but from being blacked out because of my fear. Like literally, I cannot tell you what happened. All I know is, I thought I was a flight person, and apparently I'm a fight person. And so, um, 
And I tell you this story because in my fear, I did something completely surprising and unthinkable to myself. Out of this fear response to somebody intruding, I started to do things that I never would have told you that I would do. Now, it's a funny story, and I'm grateful nothing happened, but I think it tells us something about ourselves, or at least it told me something about myself, which is when we and our lives are directed by fear, we end up doing things that we never thought we would do. We end up going into spaces or places or committing different sorts of sin and because of the fears that are operating and lurking within. And it's this type of fear that we often get possessed by that Jesus is wanting to address and wanting to confront. And he does so by telling first a story and then by describing some images about what it means to be people who try to possess life and then what it means to be people driven by fear and then what it means to be people who don't need to be afraid at all. And so here's the flow of thought for this morning's text, my sermon. It's this, our desire to possess blinds us to or from reality. And then we are driven to possess because it turns out we fear for our lives. And then the great promise that Jesus wants us to receive is that you don't have to fear because God cares for you. So we desire, or our desire to possess blinds us, but then we are driven to possess because we fear for our lives. And then Jesus wants to tell us the truth that we don't have to fear because he cares for us. But first, this story, this parable that Jesus tells. Again, remember from last week, Jake is talking about how Jesus is, is sharing with the disciples about not needing to fear for your life. You don't need to fear for your life. Fear for the one who can actually do something with your soul. And he's in the middle of this conversation, and then a person interrupts him. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And then Jesus says, but man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? So Jesus is telling this story, and then this man interrupts him. The sibling problem of possessions, of wanting things to be divided. So then, of course, Jesus, being the good teacher he is, uses this as an example in order to instruct his disciples. And he begins to tell the story. Verse 15, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, well, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So Jesus tells this parable of a man 
who because of a bumper crop has all this surplus, doesn't necessarily know what to do with it, but then thinks, I'm not gonna put it into the economy, the current economy. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take it, I'm gonna hoard it. So then when there is maybe potentially scarcity, I can actually end up selling it perhaps for profit. But how am I gonna, my garage is too full of things. I can't store it all there. So he decides I'm going to build crops, I'm sorry, barns, in order to store what has been harvested. And then he imagines this future, then when, when things are built and when he's able to store, he just sits back, he relaxes, he's able to eat, he's able to drink, he's able to be merry. Now see, the problem up to this point for this person is that the, the idea of possessions or this, this real desire to possess blinds this person to reality because God does not figure it all up to this point. It's really remarkable how the first person pronoun is consistently used when Jesus is telling the story. It says, he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And then I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. This desire to possess blinded this person in Jesus' story from being able to see reality for what it actually is. Life, abundance for what it is, which is from God. God does not factor in until God inserts himself in the story. Verse 20 again, but God said to him, you fool. What makes this man a fool is that he cannot understand how the world is really working. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, is this, this parable isn't necessarily saying that possessions are bad, but it is saying possessions are dangerous. Possessions are dangerous because they become a thing that we want and we crave and we yearn for. And then over time, we begin to construct a world in our minds and in our hearts where God doesn't figure in at all. And then we begin to imagine, what, I, what am I going to do with this? What will my life be like when this or that takes place? But then as Jesus tells the story, the foolishness will end up catching the person in the end because what we know, and even what Jesus said from last week of what Jake was talking about, that God is the one responsible, in charge powerful, able to be the judge even over our very souls. So our desire to possess can blind us from reality. But then we are driven to possess because we fear for our lives. Jesus continues, verse 22, and he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, again, in contrast to the parable, and yet God feeds them. 
of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, could add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So Jesus tells the story, talking about how our, the possessions, or at least our drive to possess, can blind us from reality but then tells us the reason that we might be driven to possess is because we actually fear for our lives. We are afraid of where we will get this or that. We will afraid, be afraid of how we will be clothed. We will be afraid of how we are going to eat. Jesus knows often at the core of our lives and what is the operating system is the fear that lurks underneath. All of us. You, me, our society, our religion can often lurk a fear that drives us to do things that we never thought we would do. Because we are a fearful people. I remember sitting across from somebody when I was trying to describe like a, a moment in my life when I was feeling anxious. And that person, with the best of intentions, said, well, you know, like, we'll be anxious for nothing. Okay, thank you. That is helpful. Um, and, and then he continued to go on to say these verses that tell the truth of how I'm not to be anxious. And I was so frustrated because I wanted to say those things were written because we are anxious. These are realities that we inhabit all the time. We live in fear. We are a people who operate out of our fears, and part of what Jesus is wanting us to, to confess, to uncover, to have revealed before us are all of the fears that lurk underneath. They exist. We are afraid of being alone. We are afraid of being lost. We are afraid that our lives have no meaning. We are afraid of not knowing. We are afraid of regrets. We are afraid of our sadness. We are afraid of going unnoticed. We are afraid of being unloved. We are afraid of being uncared for. We are afraid of being overlooked. We are afraid of getting it wrong and of being forgotten and of failing. We are afraid of making the wrong move. We are afraid that our failures will end up defining us. We are afraid that maybe none of this is true. We are afraid for the future of the church. We are afraid for the faith of our kids. We are afraid of being limited. 
We are afraid of our humanity. We are afraid ultimately of death. We in our humanity as people who are limited often operate out of our fears. And then Jesus says, look up. Don't be anxious. I imagine like the hand, the gentle hand of a father when there is a child looking down, just putting the hand underneath the chin and just lifting the head up to look. And he says, look, look around. Look at the living sermons that are the birds who fly, who eat, who don't worry about anything. Look at the living sermons of the trees and of the flowers that simply exist with not a thought or care in the world. They are what they are. Think of the living sermons of the people around you and of the stories that you behold, the people who love you and the people who care for you. Think of all of the moments in your lives when you felt like there was nothing left and then somehow, because of a promise of God coming true, you realize another day is possible. Jesus is telling us, do not worry about your life. You don't have to fear because God cares for you. You're afraid of being alone, God is with you. You're afraid of being lost, God has found you. He will find you. You're afraid that your life has no meaning. God made you and created you and called you an image bearer. You're afraid of not knowing? Well, God, the good shepherd, will guide you. You're afraid of regrets? God restores, he redeems, he reconciles. You're afraid of your sadness? God himself is a God who weeps and who suffers. You're afraid of going unnoticed? God took on flesh to get as close to you as absolutely humanly possible. You're afraid of being unloved. God's love endures forever. It won't run out. It can't. You're afraid of being uncared for. God will comfort you. You're afraid of being overlooked. God sees you. You're afraid of getting it wrong. God's grace is sufficient for you. You're afraid of being abandoned. God will never leave you nor forsake you. You're afraid of being forgotten. The great news is, is God remembers. You're afraid of failing. God works all things for his good purposes. You're afraid of making the wrong move. Well, God is merciful, and his mercies are new every morning. You're afraid that your failures define you. God says the thing that defines you is that you are his child. There is no more true thing than that. You're afraid that none of this is true? That sometimes what we do on Sunday mornings or what we profess seems ridiculous? God's not afraid of your doubts. And more true than your doubt is God's belief in you. You're afraid of being limited? Well, God says you're enough. You're afraid of your own humanity? God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
you're afraid of death. God himself went all the way into death and out the other side and defeats it. See, what Jesus is saying to us through this text, through this passage, is that you don't have to worry because God cares for you. The Father knows what you need. Jesus ends this by saying, it is the Father and his good pleasure that will give you the kingdom. Jesus says to you, God loves you, and this love, it's been so costly for God over and over and over again, but it never runs out. This love is so gentle, so faithful, so enduring, and so far-reaching that it's taken God to the world, to the cross, to death, to hell and back, up out of the tomb. God's love is so far-reaching that it reaches into the future, and it grabs hold of that future, and it brings it into the present, where we have hope and we remember that tears will be wiped away, that death itself will die. where fear itself will no longer be a concept because we can't possibly fear because we are so committed and believe wholly with our entire being that God himself will take care of us. And what's remarkable about what Jesus is doing here is he ends with this this encouragement to sell one's possessions and give to the needy. And part of why that can become possible It's because if we truly believe that God is a God of abundance and who has given us everything and that life is then gift, then giving one's possessions away for the sake of the needy isn't something we need to be told to do. It is simply something we will do. How could we not if our treasure is so firmly rooted in the treasures of the kingdom that God has brought? And that is what God is after, helping us be a people who find ourselves surprising ourselves by what we are doing because we can't help it. Because the truth of who God is and the love that he gives is so at work in us that we are giving things away, ourselves, our time, our energy, for the sake of others. See, when we are driven to possess because we fear our lives, it is almost impossible to love. Because to love means that we, in a way, are to suffer or to give or to lose. And we are so fearful of losing unless we believe God cares for us and will take care of us and is for us completely and wholly. And so then how does this take root? And that's what we're going to spend the rest of the Uh, service actually doing? How does this actually take root where we become people who aren't operating out of our fears but operating out of this trust and this love of what God has said he wants to show us and reveal to us? Well, I think it's simply the practice of confession. Confessing one's fears and then confessing one's gratitude. So the confession of fear and the practice of gratitude and you see these white papers on the walls. We are actually going to, to take a moment in our service in just a second where we are going to practice confessing fears and acknowledging gratitude 
of the God who is so abundant and so giving and so good. It's amazing, the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3, he says this in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has to complain against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body. And be thankful. All of a sudden, that just shows up. But then, Paul can't let it go. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And in whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God, the Father, through him. So all of a sudden, Paul is saying the type of people we are to be. He says, let the peace of Christ dwell in your hearts. And then somehow that peace, that trust, that belief that God cares for us is rooted in and connected to gratitude or thankfulness and be thankful, which actually is a, it's a prior practice before letting the word or dwelling in the word richly or teaching and admonishing one another, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs is this practice of gratitude. And so we are going to take time to confess our fears and acknowledge before God our gratitude of things he's given to us. So here's how this is going to go. And I know some of you are still going to be confused. I'm going to try to make it as clear as possible. I'm going to give some space. The worship team's going to come up. Would you guys can come up now? I want you to take some space and I want you to think about how you might finish these two sentences, which is going to be on the slide behind me. I fear or I worry about blank. How would you finish that? I know the list is probably way long. But what is one of the things that like, is highlighted in your mind immediately? I fear or I worry about blank. And I want you to, hold, I want you to think about that. Consider it. Then I want you to think how you would finish the following. Thank you, God, for blank. So again, the confession of fear and the practice of gratitude hold together side by side. Because I think this in some ways helps us acknowledge what is, in the, what is helping us live or what we're operating out of and then also what might be some truths to counter that. So I fear or I worry about blank and then thank you God for blank. So in just a moment, I'm gonna give you space to think about how you'd finish those two sentences. Then I'm going to pray over the things that came to mind for you. Then when the music starts, what I'm going to ask is I'm going to stand everyone and I'm going to ask you to go to the sides and to write the, those two sentences down. I fear or worry about blank and I'm, I thank you God for blank on the side. There are also going to be people who want to pray for you. So I'm going to release also the prayer ministry team and they're going to be there to pray. Now, perhaps writing it down or thinking about it even brings things to mind that you realize, like, oh, I deeply need God to speak to this. The people who want to pray for you want to pray that that would happen. So that's why they're going to be there. It also might be the case that that is uncomfortable for you, but there are people here who know your story. That might be a person that you can go to and ask for prayer for, or you might even be a person who feels compelled to go and pray for somebody because you know their fears and their worries. 
And you want them to be people who are able to also acknowledge the ways that God is at work in their lives. So that's what we're gonna do. And I hope that that's clear. And I'm gonna try to lead us along the way. But right now, take a moment, think about how you'd finish those two sentences, and then I'll release you and direct you in a couple minutes. God, we are fearful people. I am a person often directed, motivated by fear. Help us to be people who confess such fears before you, before others. Speak to those fears, the truth of who you are, the one who sees and knows and cares and loves who's so committed to what you've made, what you've created. Not just this large concept of the world, but also we as individuals within that world. You know us and you see us. So God, in your gentleness, help uncover what we're afraid of. And God, also help us to see to look up, to look around, to acknowledge all of the ways in which you give, all of the ways in which you provide, all of the ways in which you have taken care and care and care of us, your children. Help us to be people who see that, who name it, who acknowledge it. And God, I pray that even in this space of our worship time together, that 
that as they're externalized, we might be able to see them, our fears and our thankfulness, and somehow, even in that, acknowledge your formative work in our hearts and in our lives. So God, thank you for being faithful to us and for speaking and for loving and for caring. In Jesus' name, amen. So I invite all of you to stand. And in this next season of our singing together, to move to the sides, to write down what you're afraid of, what you're thankful to God for. And then we can come back and sing together and can receive prayer also from people who want to pray with you. Thanks be to God.